Welcome to Wealth Well Done. Together, we'll cover a wide range of important topics surrounding money and the impact it has on our lives. From the sophisticated and highly valuable planning techniques of the ultra-wealthy to the commonly underutilized biblical teachings. Together, we'll work to improve our relationship with money and our effectiveness in stewarding it well. Here's your host, Eric Scoville. All right, welcome to the 17th episode of the Wealth Well Done podcast, where we help you do your tactical, practical, and spiritual advice to do your wealth well done. Uh, Last week, we had Chuck Day on as we did a deep dive into the International Justice Mission and the work that they're doing there from a uh, human trafficking standpoint. Um, Today, I'm very uh, pleased to bring Mike Morawski on. Mike is a uh, longtime real estate professional that's going to bring a high level of expertise to this call today. Uh, for anyone who is interested in investing in real estate. So typically, well, actually, first of all, i got to do the disclaimer here because we're going to get into actual advice. So uh, any of the advice that we do have here is this is generic in form. This is not meant to be specific to your situation. So we ask you to please um, balance all this out with your financial team to decide what makes sense for you. Uh, but nothing in here is meant to be advice for, for you individually. Um, so typically with this, we, we spend very little time in the background of, of our guests, um, per the recommendations from our producers, but Mike, your background is extensive when it comes to real estate. So I'm going to just lay that out there for a little, or a little <laughs> bit for everyone to see. Um, so you've been in real estate 30 plus years. Um, you were a residential realtor up in Chicago for a while, built a pretty, um, large team and had a successful team there. You have built a very large property management business. Um, you have your own podcast around uh, Mike Morawski's multifamily unplugged. You went from zero to three hundred doors in in just a matter of a couple of years. Um, and then now you you've also been in syndications. You've done over it looks like close to three hundred million dollars in syndications that you've done. And you have your you know you've got a coaching business so. When it comes to real estate, Mike definitely brings a high level of expertise to what we're doing here. So, uh, sorry if I got any any piece of that wrong there, Mike. But anyway, yeah, you're it's good. A pl- pleasure to have you on the show. Hey, it's a pleasure to be here. I've been looking forward to this, Eric. Thank you. Yes. All right, jumping right in. So, so obviously, w- with that type of background, um, how did you how did you get your start in real estate? Uh, that's a great question, and and it's funny because before the show, we were talking about your background in construction. And um, that's where I came from. I came from the construction industry. So uh, funny story, I had a swimming pool company in uh, Chicago. And, you know, if you know anything about having a pool company in the Midwest, you know, it's, uh, (laughs) you know, you only work three or four months a year. So you work hard. Yeah. But I'd hire these guys in the springtime. I'd train them, spend time with them. They'd work all summer and come fall, I'd put them on unemployment uh, and thinking they'd come back the next year and they wouldn't come back. They'd go get another job. And right. so I was in this constant training and trying to retain people. I said, you know, I have to do something different. So I started doing kitchen and bath remodeling in the off season. And uh, before I knew it, I was building, you know, 25 room additions a year, wow. okay. all, all on the residential side. Um, but Eric, like any good entrepreneur, you do everything. You know, I was uh, marketing, I was sales, I was writing contracts, I was ordering material, I was hiring guys, firing guys, making sure trucks and equipment were serviced, 
uh, bookkeeping, and plus I was in the field still banging nails. And I'll never forget vividly waking up one morning, sitting up in bed, uh, looking at my wife at the time and said, I can't do this anymore. I'm done. I was just burnt out. Yeah. And I was fortunate I had somebody knocking on our door to buy the company. So I decided to sell the company and I uh, took a year off. So, um, you know, again, like any good entrepreneur, you never take time off, right? Right. <laughs> so yeah, your, your I, mind didn't stop when you took your time off. So I said, well, you know what, let's buy a, let's buy a couple buildings and we'll rehab them. And I, so I house hacked a couple of two flats long before it was sexy. Yeah. And, um, uh, uh, you know, today everybody house hacks, they live in their place, they fix it up, they sell it and move on to the next one. Uh, but back then people were like, you're doing what, you know? Yeah. Um, so, uh, I, I, you know, during this time, I met a real estate agent who was extremely successful and I, I liked what I perceived as his lifestyle, uh, his work, his work ethic, his business he built. And I went to him and said, Hey, Todd, I, I think I'd like to go in the real estate business. He said, I think you'd be great at it. And so, um, uh, he encouraged me to go in the business, uh, during which time I asked him, I said, Hey, do you know could i shadow your team and see how he goes no he goes i'm going to do better than that i'm going to make a cassette tape for you to listen to and take all my uh, uh strategies okay and i i listened to that thing over and over again and went in the real estate business and it was a home run okay. so all right <clears throat> so you you've seen some pretty high mountaintops in in this business from you know the realtor and being a realtor and a realtor team, you know, being the landlord, being a property manager, syndicator, having your own private equity firm. Like, was this a progression for you or did you just kind of go wherever the opportunities led? Yeah, it was kind of a progression because, you know, I listen, when I went in the real estate business, my first nine months in the business, I sold 78 houses. I went on to build a team selling 125 houses a year. And I did that for like 12 years. Wow. Um, and you know, 2005, I saw the market starting to shift and had always wanted to be in the apartment business. So I decided, you know, Hey, uh, let's go in the apartment business. And so, um, I, I started syndicating then. So it was kind of a progression, you know? Yeah. Okay. Okay. For, um, so now, now you're a coach, so you, you help coach people. Can you, can you give a background on to who are the type of people that you coach? Yeah. So, um, you know, before I answer that for you, I want to just, I want to say this. The only reason I'm a coach is because I was coach. I've been coached for over 20 years. Yeah. I've had personal coaches in my life that have held me accountable to business activities, which have helped my business grow, but as a result have helped me to grow personally. So I don't believe any of us grow professionally unless we're growing personally, Oh man! whether <laughs> that be spiritually, whether that be physically, however that is, um, we have to grow personally to grow professionally. And I don't believe that any of us grow just strictly on our own. There has to be, th there generally is some type of mentoring, coaching, uh, 
You know, Jim Rohn said years ago, success leaves clues. And so (laughs) if we look at other successful people and we model them and we model their success, we can be successful too. So So, Jim Jim Rohn didn't say success leaves clues in that type of voice, though. He would have said like, success leaves clues. Yeah. (laughs) I love Jim Rohn. I I don't run into many people that... uh, that have listened to the the wisdom that he shares with man that guy that guy has a lot well i'm old man so i love jim Rohn and zig ziglar and you know as much as i love tony robbins and you know but uh, there's there's mentoring in that right there's coaching in that if you listen to that so anyhow th- my first coach was todd right he made me yeah. this cassette tape and uh, this cassette tape you know had the fundamentals on it. And I really equate that to these podcasts today because you could download this podcast we do, go back and listen to it over and over again. And every time you listen to it, you're going to hear something different. You're going to get a different piece of advice. You're going to look at things differently. And as long as you take action and implement those golden nuggets into your business, there's there's nothing that you can't accomplish. You, you are Absolutely correct with that. The, yeah, and the, the coaching that's available, um, that's available to anyone is there's just no excuses anymore. At least in the Western society or anywhere that has access to a cell phone or the internet, right. there's just no excuse right. anymore. And right. and to back you up on on your age, my first coaching experience was actually Jim Rohn's coach, so Earl Schoff. Oh, oh. He, he had an old an old um, recording called uh, "How to Be How to Become a Millionaire." And, and so that was, that was the guy who got, uh, Jim Rohn started, who then obviously, yeah. you know, led into Tony Robbins and all of the people, the, the, uh, ripple effect of, of good coaching is, yep. is beyond measure. So, yeah. Hey, you want a real flashback? Go and, uh, it's floating around on YouTube right now, but go and look for the strangest secret by Earl Nightingale. Yes. That's, that is. You know, when you listen to that and you listen to some of the coaching and training today, nothing's different. It's just a different, how somebody says it differently. Like you said, hey, Jim Rohn would say it this way, right? Right. It's just a different way that something's been said. And <laughs> uh, and then the execution around it. But I, I listened to that the other day and it was pretty interesting. So, well, and so, anyhow, much of, so much of this is <laughs> the, the coaching that is available today. It's uh, interesting how much people come up with these revelations that were written down in the Bible thousands of years ago, too. Yeah, right. Exactly. So, <laughs> All right. So hey, back, back to real estate here. Back to the question. Yes. The question was, you know, who do I coach, right? right. And um, yeah, I want to coach people who want the multifamily syndication business as much as I do. Okay. Uh, because I, I know what that business can provide for people. Um, you know. I read a book one time by Gary Keller called The Millionaire Real Estate Investor. And when you open the book, the first quote in the book is financial wealth. And what's financial wealth? And financial wealth is is living your life mission on your unearned income. And so I want to teach people how to uh, either invest passively or actively in multifamily real estate because of the economies of scale. Right. And, and here's the, here's the, dis, you know, disclaimer or whatever around that. But, but I think that, you know, living your life mission, what is your life mission? Hey, somebody might have a mission that they want to own a Rolls Royce or have 10,000 units. That's okay. What are you going to do with it when you get there though? 
right? So maybe your life mission is to um, support human trafficking, right. to support homelessness, to build a well in Africa. Whatever your life mission is, I think that multifamily real estate gives you the passive income ability to be able to do that. So I want to coach people who who want that same vision and know that they can get there. So is I, that even even for people who are just getting started, like, hey, I'm, <clears throat> I, you know, I, I've bought one single family rental so far, and I'm getting ready to buy my second. I guess yep. is, that, is that still the fit? You're just saying 100%. someone who's got the vision, the growth. Yeah, okay. I want people. You know, if somebody's in the single family space and they want to transition into the multifamily space, absolutely. That's it's not a. It, you know, it's a different transition, right? I sold residential for years and went in the apartment business, and I thought, wow, this will be an easy transition. But there was so much I had to learn. Hey, Eric, the first time somebody said NOI or yield curve to me, I was like, what? <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> so I had a lot to learn, right? Absolutely. I mean, as a financial advisor, when I first started getting into real estate, like I didn't know the lingo. And, and yeah. also because they don't teach financial advisors anything about real estate because, you know, a, <laughs> a brokerage firm can't make money off of that. Um, yeah. Okay, so inside inside real estate, you have many different businesses. You know, we talked a little bit about this before of what you did inside your construction company. You ran all the different, you were in charge of all the different, um, call it verticals, the different businesses inside that construction company. Obviously, real estate is the same way. So, what of the businesses inside real estate do you like? Yeah, so you know, I, I as I mentioned earlier. Um, there's, there's a bunch of moving parts in a real estate syndication business, whether you're scaling a small multifamily two to four to 20 unit portfolio, and you can build great wealth in small multifamily and you can build great wealth in, in large multifamily. So wherever you're going to play, whatever playground, I think the fundamentals are the same and they all, all revolve around the language in the business, the relationships, the finding the best deals, choosing markets, underwriting, uh, due diligence, operations. Um, There's a, a number of moving parts, but I think that there's three key fundamentals that are incredibly important. And the first one is relationships, building relationships with people. You gotta have relationships with brokers and lenders and insurance people and other vendors. You also have to have relationships with uh, passive investors, LPs, um, uh, you know, for private equity. You have to have relationships with key principals, other people that have more experience than you that can join your team. So there's a whole team building aspect of the relationships. Yeah. And then it's the underwriting is the second piece. Underwriting and, and knowing how to analyze a deal and looking at the math. You know, and I always say in analyzing, Eric, there's, you know, if you ever watch the Christmas story, there's three ghosts, right? The ghost of Christmas past, present, and future. Yep. It's the same thing analyzing a deal. You got the ghost of the numbers of the past, the ghost of the numbers of the present, and then what are the ghosts, what, what are the numbers of the future? So that's yeah. the, an, the underwriting. And underwriting is just a fancy word for saying analyzing. But then the third piece is raising private capital. 
And I believe there's a whole strategy behind raising capital, um, raising private equity to be able to fund your your uh, multifamily syndications that you would syndicate or bring to the market. And just so so listeners understand, syndication, syndication's a fancy word for saying, hey, we find a great real estate deal, we find private equity, and we marry the two together and stay in the middle and operate those deals. Yeah. Okay. Um, we're gonna we're gonna get into uh, syndication here just a, in a few minutes. I want to <clears throat> I want you to share with the listeners um, the, the type of syndications that you currently have on the on the table. Um, when it comes to the when it comes to the, these businesses that that are all these different types of businesses that live inside you know the, the single business of, of real estate um, for the the clients that you're coaching. At what point do you recommend that they start? Um, I'm going to call it subbing out from the contracting world, but they start handing out or handing off these other responsibilities. So if they don't like property management or if they don't like um, you know, just, just marketing in any of these things, so you can pick any of those different pieces inside that business. At what point do you suggest that they start handing that off? Yeah, so find out what your strengths are. Everybody is really strong at certain things. You know, it could be construction, it could be finding the deal. It could be the underwriting. It could be raising capital. But find out what you're really strong at and good at. Get get the best you can possibly be, and then you can add value to a team. So either get yourself injected in a team where you bring that strength to the team, or go find other team members that are really good at the other stuff. Yeah. So here's here's what I did in my life, right? Is I know I'm really good at those three things, building relationships, underwriting, and raising capital. I'm really good at that. And I'm really good at bringing all the moving parts together. So I had to go get a partner uh, who's really good at all of the, the details. I'm not a detail-oriented person. I'm a big picture visionary. Yep. But but I needed somebody who could handle PPMs and LLC agreements and insurance and funding and investor portals and investor documents and moving parts and and all those little, you know, who's tracking the utility bills and and those types of things, right? Right. So I, I went and got a partner who was really good at that. And then I went and got a partner who was really good at um, sourcing deals from the r- brokers that I built relationships with. And he'd get the deals and start underwriting deals. And then we'd get in and tear them up. But but he took that first piece, that first pass at a deal. So now the three of us work really well together on those functions. And then on the back end, we work really well together. So So figure out what you're really good at and go find other people that are good at those other things to build a team for yourself. And you recommend doing that pretty early. You know, I, I've got two properties under my belt and I'm realizing that I don't like blank. So therefore, start looking for partners or looking for other people to, to fill that, that that's gap. A great, that's a great question. And, and how I would address that is, you know, what are your goals? What do you want to accomplish? Let's get really clear. So this is where coaching comes into play, mm-hmm. Right. The, uh, my couple of first initial coaching calls with somebody is, hey, let's drill down and figure out exactly what your passion is, what you want to accomplish, and and then let's build a plan around going there, right? 
So if you say, hey, look, I want to buy 500 units because I want to take the passive income from that and uh, support this cause and this cause, or I want to I want to buy 5,000 units and scale my business, now we can build a plan, right? But I think it starts with clarity. Know what you want to accomplish, have a clear vision for that, and then you can build a great business plan around executing. Once you do that, Now you can figure out what you're good at and then figure out in your plan how to go and build that team that's going to be, you know, that's going to all come together to accomplish your goals. Yeah. Okay. In your coaching, do you, so I'm going to ask you some specific questions that are, they're just on the mind of, of, of kind of the, I was gay, a lot of, a lot of landlords right now, but, um, and I want to know, do you address these type of uh, situations with your coaching, but uh, insurance rate hikes, that's the thing that, that people are dealing with. Uh, I don't say completely across the board, but certainly, uh, you know, I've got a lot of clients who have, um, properties in the Southeast and, yep. and so they are seeing massive rate hikes right now. Um, how are you like, do, do you address those with clients and here, here's what strategies you'd recommend to, to handle that? How much of that's getting passed on to their, uh, to their tenants? Yeah. So, um, you know, it's hard to pass it on to the tenants because, you know, listen, uh, Eric, we own a property in the Southeast as well. And, um, you know, we underwrote that at $850 a unit. When we took possession 90 days later, it was $1,250 a unit when we closed on the deal. And then we just got renewed at $1,550 a unit. So. It's hard to go back into your tenant and go, Hey, our insurance went up. We got to raise your rent a hundred dollars more than what we're already raising it or what you're already paying. So, um, it, it kind of comes to the point where, uh, you, you have to mitigate that. And, you know, where else do you cut? Yep. Where else do you do things that help you kind of reduce that? So drop down so, margins for a little bit here while we, yeah, while we weather this and, and let it be a more steady progression into right. building building that back into your costs. So Eric, if I was coaching you today and we were looking at syndicating a deal, okay? So I have a couple coaching programs, right? I have a group program and I have a one-on-one program. And okay. let's say you and I were coaching one-on-one and we had gone through the underwriting process and you're now sourcing deals and underwriting deals and you go, all of a sudden you go, Mike, I found a deal. I think we should do this. I go, great, Eric, let's look at it. You and I partner together on that deal, right? I love to partner with my coaching clients and help them be successful. So um, I, I want to bring enough content and enough information to help you do your first deal or do your next deal. And, and I want to be your partner in that. So what we're going to look at is we're going to say, okay, we know Florida, Galveston, Texas, uh, Mobile, Alabama, you know, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, these costs are going up and up and up in insurance. Let's project for that. Remember I talked about the three ghosts, right? Past, present, and future. When we look at that future ghost, let's say, okay, we know that next year and the following year, our insurance rates are going to go up. How do we plan for that? And how do we look at that in the underwriting so that we can stress the deal so that we can still bring a deal to the market that's going to pay our private investors, you know, a mid to upper teens return 
and not cause us to have stress or have to go back and do a capital call or to have any challenges, right? Okay. <clears throat> All right. One more, um, one more kind of more tactical piece of this from you, and then we're going to get into your syndication. Um, the property management. So for people who are scaling, property management is this, this massive bear. <clears throat> Sometimes it's pretty ugly. Um, and so the question, a couple of questions here. So first of all, what type of person is cut out to be in property management? Um, uh, uh, from, you know, there's a, again, here, there's a bunch of functions in the property management business, right? You've got leasing, you've got managing, you've got a, uh, maintenance, you've got um, sales. So let's just talk about the property manager, right? The person who's running the property, the operations, the yep. on-site staff. It's got to be somebody who can manage a bunch of spinning plates because there's all kinds of things going on at one time every day. Right. It's got to be somebody who has a temperament to be able to deal with people and listen to them complain and yell at you maybe. It's got to be somebody who knows how to get things done quickly, who's responsive, who is somebody who can um, uh, change quickly, right? You might be going north and all of a sudden you got to make a change and turn around and go back south. So it has to be somebody who can adapt to a changing environment because you, you could come into work at 10 o'clock one morning and everything be going smoothly. And all of a sudden, you know, the weather changes and lightning strikes a building. And now all of a sudden everything else is in an uproar. Right. So how do you mitigate those types of things? Right. So. Uh, you know, I, I think I think the person in the property management business and Eric, I, I had vertically integrated a property management company. We managed like seventy five hundred units, yep. and I had some really good people that ran that business, but I didn't like it. I don't really, you know, it's a necessary evil. It's a path to. It's a means to the end, but it's a tough business. And, and my hats go off to property managers who, who have that temperament to deal with the things that go on. Yeah, I, I, that's helpful. Cause I think of a lot of the people who are having real estate be their side hustle that think they're going to manage a property, or they're just going to manage them. I think they, they typically get a few units in and then start to realize just how much work this actually is. So, um, yeah. okay. The, but the, so I've got a, I've got a, dear friend who has uh is a year into uh they're forming their own property management company so they've got a lot of doors and they finally <clears throat> went ahead and did it themselves um and the way he's described this past year is is not not pleasant but now here they are a year later and they are um they've they've seen the fruit of their labor and, it, and it's been good um when when you talk about the idea of the necessary evil obviously someone has to do it um do you what what type of margin? So think, I'm thinking of the, the person who's maybe got 20, 20 units or so that they manage right now, and they've they've hired them all out to a local property management company, and they're deciding if maybe they should go on their own with this. At what point, um, like what type of margin are, are are they talking about recouping by bringing that in house? 
you mean uh, an operator, a syndicator, a property owner that all of a sudden decides I'm going to I'm going to bring my property management operations Sorry, in not, house? Not so much a syndicator. When I say units, I, I mean doors. So someone who's got 20 doors that they manage um, that they've been they've been you know that that they own and that they have been um, subbing out that management to to another property manager. How much money do they stand to to recoup if they if they bring that in house? Well, we you know what IRR is? Sure, it's the time value of money, right? So when we do a calculation, it's time value of money. So you have to look at the time it's going to take you to do that extra job to save well, five to seven percent. Yep. So. So when you talk about five to seven percent, plus now it takes you an extra twenty hours a week. Is are you really are you really bringing that five to seven percent in house? That's the uh, that's well, the exact answer I was looking for. Just to to help yeah. people bring that into scope. Yeah. Okay. Um, let, let's switch over to syndications here. The the type of syndications that you're doing, and and I I gave you full permission to sell this you don't have to you don't have to be bashful about this you have syndications that you have available yeah. for people um, just like yeah. your coach that's available for people um th- there's a reason that we brought you on mike and that's because you're able to bring value so first of all for your syndications do you focus more on an msa or a specific vertical and then can you walk us through um a, like a, a syndication that you either have available today or that you have coming down the down the pipe perfect thanks for asking all this so you're right on we i'm a market driven investor so I won't, I will not invest in markets that don't make sense. And here's what I look at. And I have about, I have about eight different market traps that I look at before I make a decision on a market. And if I can't check all the boxes, uh, and, and all but one of those is negotiable. So if I can't check all the boxes, I don't go into that market. Okay. Population growth has to be strong. So I have to be seeing a constant trend going north in population growth because population growth spurs on job growth. And if the, if population is growing, I know there's going to be a demand on jobs. So it's going to cause job growth. And then it's job growth is going to cause another demand on income and household income going up. So if I, I have to check those three boxes first. And then my other things are like crime, schools, demographics, uh, employment diversification, um, and uh, new mar- new units on the market are coming online. Um, so, so those are my boxes. I got to be able to check all those and say they're all good to go. So I get I have a rating: red or green. Red is stop. Green is go. If long as I can check all those green, I'm going to move forward to the next piece which is look at a multifamily deal. Now I have a pretty specific buying strategy around the multifamily that I syndicate. And I want people to understand that you could syndicate any type of real estate deal. It's an alternative investment, whether it's single family fix and flips or whether it's office retail industrial, but I'm a multifamily guy. And then when you look at multifamily, there's a bucket there. And in that bucket, you have senior housing and mobile home parks, and you have self-storage, you have tax credit deals and affordable housing. I'm a market rate rent multifamily guy. I like to be able to raise my rents and not have any restrictions or hair on doing that. Okay. So uh, with that said, 
here's what I look for. I look for 150 to 250 units in size in a primary market, typically the South or the Southeast, um, that it has uh, that's garden style, two to three story units, pitched roofs. I like to have one and a half parking spots per unit or more. I like to have a strong mix of two to three bedroom units, over 60%. I'm not a big one bedroom or efficiency guy, although that's a negotiable because there's markets that that makes sense in. I like to have limited amenities and value add. So I want to be able to go in and either turn the operations around or turn the physical component around to be able to put new tenants in place and raise my rents. So, so that's kind of my overall strategy. And, and Eric, the, my mission in that is to bring safe and secure housing to my tenants. So my mission in the syndication business is to provide safe and secure housing to my tenants because, um, you know, there's a lot of single moms, there's a lot of single parents out there. And I want them to know that when they come home, when their kid comes home from school and the door closes behind them, that somebody's not chasing them down the hall, gangbanging them, selling them drugs, selling them guns, or trying to get them into some kind of human trafficking. Yeah. Right. Wow. So I want to provide an environment that's safe and secure for my tenants. Um, so, we look at that. Now, that's the first kind of glance at a property. Now we look into the financials. And again, I'm looking at the ghost of the uh, present and the ghost of the future a little bit and and seeing what I'm going to be able to do with that property. As long as I can bring a, a property to the market for my limited partners, so my investors, and and I bring investors in and I share we share in the profits with those investors. They get the, our private investors get the lion's portion of these investment opportunities. So if I can't bring a deal to the market today, and, and Eric, I'm extremely conservative. I mean, like zero rent growth and then moderate rent hikes. I, I'm very conservative on the length of time, the construction costs, my rent, you know, increases. So I'm very conservative. Because I know today we're in an environment that's a little questionable. But I have to bring an offering to the market that is at least the mid-teens return. What I mean by that is my investors will make about 15% a year on their money or more. Mm -hmm. And are going to see a, a preferred return of 6%. So here, here's what that means is that you're going to get paid 6% along the way. And the balance of that 15% would come as a, uh, as a promote when we sell the deal on the back end. So, um, that's got it. That's my baseline. If I'm below that, if I can't get a better price or make the deal work, I don't do it. I don't, no matter how nice of an opportunity it looks like it could be. Cause I don't bank on appreciation. It has to be about cash flow and it has to be about the cash flow today because I know if I can increase cash flow and increase my NOI, my investors make more money on the back end. So the profitability is there. Um, I'll give you an example. We're doing a, we're doing a deal right now in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I was able to check all the boxes on the market, the market drivers, the fundamentals and where the market is headed. 
So it's a very strong economic market, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, I found a deal, 277 units, class C value add property. We're going to go in, we're going to put 2.3 million in capital improvements in the property. And we're going to put new professional management in place. Matter of fact, our property manager on that is, is the third largest property manager management company in the country and really knows how to turn assets around. Okay. So they're going to be our partner in the deal. Um, I, and, uh, our investors will see returns of 17% a year on that investment. They're going to get 7% preferred return along the way on an annual basis paid out quarterly, which means that the multiple and the multiple is, is how much your money will grow over that period of time. So in four and a half years, our investors will hit it over a two multiple, which means they'll double their investment in it's projected to double their investment in that opportunity. Yeah. And Here's the good news for the investors is you don't have to deal with all the moving parts. You're not dealing with tenants, trash, and toilets, right? <laughs> all those day-to-day activities. You don't have to have the temperament of a property manager to, to deal with that, right? Right. <clears throat> yeah, that's the beauty of, of syndications. And the the operators need the L, the LPs, the investors, and, and vice versa. So, yeah. Okay. Um, how do how do listeners get a hold of you, Mike? How do they find out, find out more about the deal or just get a hold of you about coaching? Yeah. So anywhere you hang out on social media, you can find me, whether it's Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, TikTok, you can find me. We're always putting content out there every day. I'd like to invite listeners to go join my uh, Facebook group, which is Multifamily Unplugged, where I'm always keeping people updated about offerings that we have or programs coming up um, or, or my YouTube channel. Either way, you know, connect with me there or connect with me directly. If you want to talk to me, um, you can send me an email. I'll send you a, a copy of an ebook on passive investing, uh, passive investing in apartments. I have an ebook that people can go to, uh, uh, can uh, email me directly and I'll send you uh, a copy of that book. Okay. All right. Mike, thank you so much for, uh, for the show. Um, next week, we are going to come back with a second episode with you where we are going to uh, dig deep into your redemptive story. So uh, listeners here, Mike has a phenomenal story that we didn't touch on at all today. So we're going to dig into that next week. Um, as always, if you're finding value, please share, please subscribe, and we will see you next week. Thanks, Eric. Thank you again for listening to Wealth Well Done. Be sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. And together, we'll continue to improve our relationship with money and our effectiveness in stewarding it well.